in a series of sermons called God's Vision for the Church. God's Vision for the Church. Let me turn on here. I don't think I have my mic, so I'm going to come over here. I lost my mic between the services. Nope, here it is. It's like a magician pulling a rabbit out of a hat. Voila, there we go. So last Sunday, we talked about, we began to talk about God's vision for the church. We want to make sure that as a church, we're aligned with what God says in the New Testament about what the church should look like, what the priorities of the church should be about. And remember, last week we focused on what? Matthew 28, when Jesus said to his disciples, go therefore and make disciples. So Jesus' mandate, Jesus' mission for the church is that we be, be disciples who make disciples. So that was really the key last week. Was we just wanted to focus on that theme of getting uh, realigned with the idea of being disciples, and we talked about what that entails, who then uh, make disciples for Jesus Christ. And then today I'm going to talk a little bit more about that theme and really talk maybe some more kind of nuts and bolts what that might look like in the context of the church and creating a culture of discipleship. I've been reading a lot about discipleship. I've read probably half a dozen books or dipped into at least half a dozen books on discipleship, so a lot of this is rattling around in my head. And I'm praying for God's direction and God's wisdom and His discernment to, to lead us in this, in this way. But one book that I found very helpful is this book, and I've shared this with Vestry, called The Trellis and the Vine. And in this book, The Trellis and the Vine, one of the authors talks about kind of an epiphany moment. It happened in his backyard when he saw two trellises in his backyard. He saw one trellis that was a beautiful trellis, white, great lattice work, sturdy, dependable, only one problem. It had no vine. And then he saw another trellis that was leaning up against the fence that was growing beautifully with this jasmine tree. And he says, you know, these new shoots were shooting out and these white flowers were extending into the warm spring air and it was a beautiful thing. Well, you could hardly even see the structure. You could hardly even see the trellis. And his point was, his epiphany moment was, churches are like this. There are some, all churches are a mixture of trellis and vine, of structure and growth. The structure is the stuff that we're going to be talking about following our time in worship together at the business meeting. The structure are things like a building. We're going to give thanks to God for this, this building. Uh, we're going to be talking about leadership and uh, electing new vestry members. So you have to have leadership. You have to have committees. We might be talking a little bit about program things. We'll be talking about everybody's favorite topic in the church, which is money. We'll be talking about budget issues. Now, all that stuff is necessary. That's, that's the structure. That's the trellis. But the most important thing is the vine. We want to see God use these structures to grow the kingdom of God. The vine is growth in the kingdom. The vine is what we talked about last week, being disciples who make disciples, people who have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and therefore are pointing the way to other people, to Jesus Christ, and helping people grow up in maturity. People coming into the church and being converted. People coming into the church and, and growing up as spiritually mature individuals. That's, that's the vine. And the problem that can happen is that we get so focused on the trellis, we become keepers of the structure and we forget to be vine workers. 
One example he gave in this book is he said it's, uh, it's a lot easier to be on a committee that is trying to decide what color the carpet should be than it is to speak to your neighbor about the gospel, right? It's easier in some ways to engage in the structure, in the trellis work, rather than the vine work. But what we'll see today from Ephesians chapter 4 is that God's design for the church is that we're all vine workers, that we're all in this together. So I want to look here at what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, Ephesians is a great book to study if you want to understand God's vision for the church. I mean, it starts with the idea, Ephesians chapter 1, that God has a people before the foundation of the world, before creation, God has chosen a people to be for His glory. And of course, in the first century context, what Paul is trying to get through to the Jews and to the Gentiles is that this community that God has called is, is called to serve together, Jew and Gentile. God is doing this great new thing in the history of redemption, bringing Jew and Gentile together. This is the mystery Paul talks about that's been disclosed here through Jesus Christ, that there's a new covenant community, and that's the church, and that the church is to display the glory of God in the world. We're not just a voluntary association. We're not a club. We have been called by God together to display his glory to the world. What a high and noble calling. So that's what Paul talks about in the previous verses. And then in, verse, in, verses, uh, in chapter 4, he begins to unfold kind of what this will look like in the context of the life of the church. And so how do we all become vine workers? How do we help people grow in discipleship? Well, the first thing is to, is to note that everybody has a role to play. Look at what he says in verses 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. These are all the leaders. And the apostles were the foundational leaders, of course. They're the foundational leaders of the church. We still look to the apostles, the witnesses of Jesus Christ, the witnesses to the resurrected Christ, who received the commission from the very lips of Christ to go into all the world and preach the gospel. They are our foundational leaders. And their writings are enshrined in the New Testament. So there are touchstone to Jesus. You've got to go back to the apostles in their writings to be connected to the true Christ. The prophets, these are other leaders who've been inspired by God to tell forth and to speak forth insight and, uh, about what God is doing and about what he'll do in the future. If you read the book of Acts, you'll see that, that kind of prophetic ministry happening in the early church. Then you have evangelists, those people who are gifted in bringing people, um, people who are not saved, the message of salvation, non-believers, the gospel. And then shepherds and teachers, that describes the pastoral office. It's really, I think, two aspects of one office, which is a pastor. A pastor is about shepherding, and a pastor should teach the flock. So these are the leaders of the church that Christ has, has given to the body. That's what he talks about when he says he gave. He's talking about the risen and ascended Christ. These are the foundational leaders. But then notice the purpose of the leadership. What's the role of the pastor? Look at verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints. And who's a saint in here? <laughs> Good. Paul, I know Father Paul taught you guys that. Very good. We're all saints. If we belong to Jesus Christ, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we belong to the communion of saints. And so 
what Paul is saying here is are the leaders, the pastors, the teachers, their role is to equip all of us to be involved in ministry. It's a team effort. It's, it's a body. And, and like he goes on and says at the end of this uh, passage of Scripture, he says, we are to grow up, verse 15, in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body join and held together by every joint with which it's equipped. When each part is working properly, what happens when one part of the body isn't working properly? Some of you know about this? <laughs> the guy with the sling over there, he might have an idea. It's painful, it's difficult, and the rest of the body doesn't quite function the way it should. But when all members of the body are working properly, then the body can grow and we can be built up in love. So we all have a role to play, and, we're, and the goal is to build each other up in love. And here's something kind of neat. I, I, I read this insight just recently, too. This comes from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in a book called Commun- Life Together. But he says, when we're interacting the body of Christ, Jesus is at the center of it. So when I interact with Peter, it's not just Peter and, and Ben. It's Peter and Ben and Jesus. When I interact with Father Richard, it's not just Peter, it's not just Father Ben and, and, and Father Richard, it's, it's Jesus, too, is in the midst. If we think about our relationships like that, we're connected to one another through the love of Christ. Won't that change sometimes how we interact with each other and how we serve each other and encourage each other? Okay. So it's a team effort. It's not just one person doing it. And I, I know you know this. This is basic 101 Christianity. Um, there's, a, there's a story that one of these... In this book I've been reading about discipleship, one of, one of the authors gives this story about the time when he was in college, he was a wrestler. And they were very excited because they were bringing in a, a, a new person to coach them, somebody special. This guy was on track for the Olympics. And so there was a big buzz on the college uh, wrestling team that they're bringing in this big gun to teach them how to wrestle. He's on track to the Olympics. And he gets here and it becomes evident he doesn't want to teach anybody anything. He just wanted a place to display his talent, and he wanted to use the resources that they had in the weight room and the facilities and such. He says, I didn't learn anything from this guy because it was all about him. And he said, the people I really learned from were the coaches who felt that it was a calling to teach and to, to share and to equip. And so that is the role of the pastor, and that is the role of, um, that, that's how it works in the body of Christ. There's a Here's a kind of a fun quote that I came across. The church is not to be like a pyramid with the pastor perched precariously on a pinnacle. It's a tongue twister there. The church is not to be like a pyramid with the pastor perched precariously on a pinnacle like a little pope with the laity arrayed beneath him in serried ranks of inferiority. <laughs> the biblical model is the church is a body and we all have a ministry. Okay, so then what's the point of the ministry? What's the purpose of the ministry? Well, he says in verse 13, he tells us what the point is. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Okay, unity, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Remember Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17? That they may be one even as you and I are one. He's praying to the Father. He's praying for the church. He's saying, I want their unity to reflect Father the unity that we have, to be a mirror of that. So this concern for unity, you see it in Jesus, you see it in the apostles, you see it in Paul, 
because our unity together is a witness to the world. And that's what Jesus said, so that they, those outside the world, will know that you have sent me, that I am for real, and that the church really is a place where people can experience the truth about God and his law. So unity, when we are ministering together, when we see ourselves as a team, as a body, there's unity there, right? And then the goal is to build that unity and also maturity. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we will not be like children. We won't be tossed back and forth by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. See, as we grow up in unity and maturity, then we're not as vulnerable to false teaching and false doctrine. And people can't be drawn away so easily if they're in a body of Christ that's unified and that is all headed in the same direction, that is spiritual maturity. To grow up in Christ, to see Christ as the measure of spiritual maturity, the mark, the standard by which we judge ourselves. That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. It's part of what discipleship means. That I'm going to allow Christ to influence all aspects of my life, my work, my family life, my relationship to the church, my relationship to those outside of the church. Jesus is, is influencing all those different realms of my life. So I want to talk just a little bit about uh, some examples of spiritual growth and maturity. Now, this comes from a book by Glenn McDonald, another one of these books I've been immersing myself in. But go ahead and show that. These are some examples of spiritual growth. Again, we're talking about what's the objective here? It's to grow up to spiritual maturity. These are some very simple examples. So uh, this is a dynamic growth from the idea or an attitude like this. Jesus is the leader of some aspects of my life. Okay, to Jesus is the leader of all aspects of my life. That's spiritual maturity. Jesus in the gospel said, if you want to come after me, if you want to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross. And that means laying down all of your life. And, 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 and the trade-off is we get the life that really God intends us to, lead, to live. Abundant life. Okay, uh, here's another, again, just an idea, very simple, of dynamic growth and maturity. I often let the Bible inform my understanding and choices... I passionately study the Bible, allowing it to shape the entirety of my understanding and choice. The Word of God, the Bible becomes the Word of God to me, shaping my thinking, shaping my attitudes. Next. Do we have another mark of maturity? Maybe we do not. From I'll use my resources, time and my talent and my money for God's purposes when it convenient when it fits into my plans okay the mature step would be to get to a place where we we say i'm a steward everything i have is god's even the the gifts the abilities he's given to me it's 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 a gift and so i'm a steward of these things that god has given to me and i will seek to use these things for god and for his glory I'll, I'll try to use my abilities, my skills, my talent, my work. I'll do my work for the glory of God. I'll, I'll, I'll see my family life connected to the glory of God. Okay? And then the final one is, is from God loves me. Just that bare statement, very true statement. God loves me. But a deeper way of thinking about it is God loves me unconditionally. So now I can and I ought to love other people unconditionally. 
You see, these are just some marks of spiritual growth and maturity, and that's what we're after as a church. And we can take up a couple of steps forward in this, can't we? And then we take a, a step back. It's a continual life process, a dynamic. But the goal doesn't change. Knowledge of God's Son, seeing Jesus as the measure, the standard, and by His grace, following Him. Okay, so how do we help every, every member be involved in ministry um, with the goal of unity and spiritual maturity? How do we do that? Let's look at what he says here in verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. You see, growth happens as we speak to one another the truth. And where is the truth found? In the word of God. So this is, we could talk a lot about different programs or ways of approaching discipleship. And, and we'll probably do some more of this at some point. But this is the primary thing is that we as a people let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. This is something that Paul talks about in Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly so that you're speaking to one another the word of God. And as we do that, we're being built up together. So we speak to one another with uh, the word of God. We speak to outsiders the word of God. And that's how the vine grows. It grows through the word. The, 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 the seed that grows the kingdom Vine is the word of God. And I think that's clear in Jesus' teaching in some of his parables as well. So, for example, how does this work out? Well, in the rest of Ephesians, Paul talks about, there's different sections where he talks about addressing one another. Every member is a minister. So he says in Ephesians 5, uh, he exhorts Ephesians, address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Did you know that in your singing, in our singing together, we should be thinking we're addressing God, yes, primary. He's the audience. But also, we're encouraging one another as we sing. And you say, I don't have a very good voice. Maybe my neighbor doesn't find it so encouraging. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, if you're singing with your heart, if you're singing with enthusiasm, and we're singing truths about, the, about God and the gospel, it is encouraging. Because haven't you experienced this in, in your own uh, experience of corporate worship where sometimes you come into a service and, and it sounds like kind of you're just going these people are just going through a funeral dirt we're all just kind of dragging but may, maybe there's a couple of people who are really tuned in and worshiping and focused and that encourages you and, and you're being built up as people sing and they worship together so that's just one simple way that we can speak the word of god to one another in singing and then he goes on and he, that's ephesians chapter five and then in chapter six he says this to fathers, bring your children up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. Fathers, share the word of God. Mothers, share the word of God with your children. Bring them up in these things. Preaching to myself here. That the primary area of discipleship that we have as, as fathers and mothers, and I would include grandparents as well, are the children that God has entrusted to us. We're to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Um, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. This is a favorite verse of pastors because it's the one place in the New Testament that says you've got to go to church. I was talking to somebody just the other day, not, not a member of this congregation, who said to me, um, he said, I don't feel like I have to go to a building to pray to God. 
because I told him I was a pastor. And when I tell people I'm a pastor, then they tell me why they don't go to church. <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time this happened and invested it, you know, I would be a pretty wealthy I'd be pretty set for retirement. So this is what happened. I almost expect it now. I'm a pastor. Oh, well, no. and he tells me why he doesn't go to church. So I don't need to go to a building to pray. I said, you're absolutely right. You don't need to go to a building to pray. But the problem is, is that you do need a community to pray in. And you do need a community of people to pray with you. And you do need a community of people to encourage you. And then I quoted, well, I didn't quote it exactly, but the thought of Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, let us consider how to stir one another up in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. You know, because this world, <laughs> this culture, isn't going to encourage us in the things of the Lord. We need one another. So it's not just about us, it's about encouraging each other. And we can do that as we share God's word with each other. Let me just give some real life examples here before we, we, we close here. Uh, of just This is really simple. And I know some of you guys are already doing this in your daily life. And I can tell stories about what people in this congregation are doing, but I don't want to embarrass anybody. But this is, again, this is just very simple. Uh, examples of people sharing the word of God in a very simple way. The vine is beginning to grow. This comes from that book, The Trellis and the Vine. Bill chats with George after church and shares with him how he's encouraged by a particular verse in the Bible that day. Speaking the word of God. Okay. Jeff is asked by a co-worker, Peter, what, what did you do on the weekend? Jeff replies that he heard a sermon in church that helped him understand what's wrong with the world. How would you answer that question? And it's, the answer is not politics, okay? Although that might be part of it. But Peter asked him to explain. Now, here would be a fun conversation. So he talks about why sin and God's judgment explains our world's problems based on the Bible. And Jeff prays for more opportunities with Peter and that Peter will respond to the message. The vine is growing here. Okay, what's the next one? Irene is quite elderly and finds it hard to get out, but she phones her friend Jean once a week and talks about the Bible passage she's been reading and prays over the phone. Speaking to one another the truth in love. Sarah's son is having real problems in high school, and as they talk at night, she reassures him that God is stronger and more faithful than any friend, and she prays with him. Very simple. Claire invites her friend Shelly to church. This one's kind of mangled here. On the way home in the car, Claire talks to Shirley. No, she talks to Shelly. We got that wrong. I got that wrong. <laughs> so let's, let's start over. Claire invites her friend Shelly to church, and she's been praying for Shelly. Right? And finally, Shelley says, okay, I'll come to church. And I know some of you do this. You invite people to church. Now, this is, this is a neat thing to think about, though. On the way home, Claire talks to Shirley about the sermon. <laughs> Not just how is the people, how's the weather, do you think the Cardinals are going to win? But go back to the Word of God. And what do you think about what you heard? And then she does her best to answer Shelley's questions. Do we have one more? Is that it? I think that's it. But you see, the simplicity of it is sharing the word of God. I know some of you, I mean, many of you are involved in doing this kind of thing on a daily basis. I just want to encourage you that this is how the vine grows. This is part of what it means to be involved in discipleship making. So think about in your life how you can be involved in something like that. It's powerful, it's simple, but it's powerful when we speak the word of God and the Holy Spirit's at work. That's when growth begins to happen. Now, let me just close with this quote. You know, we have a new archbishop. The ACNA has a new archbishop. 
named Archbishop Foley Beach, just elected this week. Archbishop Foley Beach was the bishop in uh, Atlanta, and um, they interviewed him and asked him, in the course of this interview, somebody, maybe some of you saw this interview, the interviewer asked, he set it up this way, he says, we live in a post-Christian nation, increasingly opposed to the gospel. What, what are we supposed to do about this archbishop? Okay, do you, do you have any words of advice? And here's what he said. The best way to transform the culture is for church people to become disciples of Jesus and to live out their faith in the marketplace, in social gatherings, and in schools. We have let the culture intimidate us and shut us up. It's time to repent and to stop being ashamed of the Lord and his word. And that's what we're talking about here. Disciples who speak the word of God to one another, insiders and outsiders. And as we do that prayerfully in the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll see the kingdom begin to grow. Let's pray. Lord, we do, we do repent uh, as the Archbishop has called us to. Uh, we acknowledge, I acknowledge hesitancy to speak your word oftentimes outside of the church context. And we pray that you would give us a deeper love for people and a deeper love for you, that it would spill out in the words that we say, in the life that we live. That we would all be workers in your vineyard. We wouldn't be passive about it, Lord, but we would be active and we would be intentional and we would be led by your Holy Spirit. And we pray this for your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen.